0: Our text is Genesis chapter 26, as you've had read before you, you'll find your place. Let's once again ask the Lord to bless us today. Now, Lord, this is your word, and you have recorded it and left it for our learning and admonition, the things that were written aforetime. And so we rejoice in that. May we come seriously and soberly as we consider the decisions and actions of those who have gone before us, realizing that, Lord, we are not without excuse We have your insight and your word here. Lord, I pray that you would speak to those whose hearts may be hardened, who may be overwhelmed by their circumstances, others. Some who are, Lord, in our midst who are in great grief. Others who are at a crossroads in their lives. There are those who have never really seriously considered the claims of Christ and the authority of your word. And so we pray, Lord, that... And we know that your word will do all that you've appointed for it to do. And we rest confidently in the sufficiency of the scriptures this morning. We do ask for blessing and help us to participate, to lay aside those things that would hinder and keep us from paying attention and listening with the inner heart and the inner man. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Some have said that Isaac lived all of his life in the shadow of his famous father Abraham or his illustrious son Jacob. The chapter before us is the only chapter in the scripture that is totally devoted to the life of Isaac. We have learned here of his spiritual growth as a believer. We first see Isaac here confronting a huge problem in his life our spiritual growth is directly connected to the problems that the sovereignty of god allows in our lives and our response to them what we do with them there is no life without problems some live the deluded idea even in faith those who know the lord that there is a place spiritually or an attainment here on earth that where problems do not come May I just burst that bubble for you today and let you know that there's never a a place, a status, or a, 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 a spiritual growth where you'll be immune to problems, perplexities, situations way beyond your control, things you can do nothing about but obey. So he has a huge problem in his life, and it's interesting how the Holy Spirit shows us people by their problems often. The Bible often gives us the biographies of God's people through their problems, it seems. You've heard me say often, and it's not original, but I have to remind myself of it when we seem overwhelmed by problems that there are three things about them. Everybody has them. <clears throat> Let's just test that today. Is there anybody in the house today who does not have a single problem? You are absolutely problem-free. So I'm right. It looks <laughs> like that... Uh, that. It's true. Everybody has them. They may not all be to the same gravity, but we all have them. Secondly, everywhere you go, there are problems. Just ask Jonah. <laughs> Just ask Lot. Just ask yourself. You can You can move across the country, but guess who you take with you when you move 10,000 miles away? And that is the third thing about problems. You're part of the problem. We often say history repeats itself. And I'm sure as we make our journey through the Old Testament you'll say, Pastor, it seems like we've just talked about this scripture before because, in a sense, we did. Abraham committed this sin, this time of testing, and it seems like the same thing. So you're probably saying, what are you going to say differently about Isaac and this test of faith and lying about his wife than you did about his father Abraham? History does repeat itself. And here we see the same temptation, the same test that abraham faced repeated in his son isaac Isaac is now facing it when you look at it there, there are not so many different kinds of problems we could put them all into several or just a few categories really and the scripture does that the scripture tells us that our great enemies are the world the flesh and the devil you can you can categorize all the things that will happen to you as a believer and what the, the problem will come from one of those areas and so there really is nothing new under the sun. These same temptations of the flesh and the tests that God allows are, are similar, though not identical, but similar in the lives of, of others. The verse tells us there in verse one, and there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine in the days of Abraham. So the Holy Spirit points this out to us. This is a repeat. This has happened before, if it sounds Strangely familiar is because it is. And like his father, Isaac was on his way to Egypt. When the Lord appeared to him and stopped him, unlike Abraham, the Lord did not stop Abraham. But he does stop Isaac. And he says, go not down into Egypt, but dwell, abide, remain in the land which I shall tell thee of. The last we've heard of Isaac before now is that he was dwelling near a well at Lahoroy, back in chapter 24 and verse 62. And so we might ask the question, if he's living by that well, is the well dried up? Is the, Or does it look like it's going to? Sometimes, out of fear of what might happen, uh, we make decisions. I cannot believe if God said, stay in this land, and I'll provide for you, that the well was absolutely dried up but even so we know that god has ways of providing in unbelievable ways that that we would never come up with as we see in the life of elijah and others and so possibly the well where he was has uh, dried up usually though a well is is built and is fed by a spring, unlike a cistern. And so that's hard to believe, although he may have feared it may have gotten low. The drought may have been coming on, and the well looked like it was going to, uh, to stop providing the water for his vast amounts of herds and flocks that, that he possessed. Did the circumstances lean toward no provisions for his herds and flocks? Obviously, Isaac felt desperate because people make these real big decisions uh, as he's making here, to go in a different place because of the pressures on them. But whatever the extent, remember that uh, the well where he came from literally means means him that liveth and seeth me. Remember, uh, Hagar said, thou, thou God seest me, you're the God who sees me. And that's the meaning of the well, of the name of the well. It told him of the unfailing care and the ever-living, ever-presence of God. For us, this well is the Word of God. It, even in dry times, even in times when we read the Scriptures and feel like I'm just not getting anything out of it, this is the whale. There is no other resource. There's no other wisdom. There's no other spiritual manna. This is God's provision for us. And keep that in mind as we study the Scriptures. Isaac is often associated with a whale. A place, a well is, is different from a cistern, as I've mentioned. A cistern is a, a, a pit or a container that holds rainwater or holds water. Uh, but a well is a place of running water. It gets its supply from an underground supply of, of running water. In chapter 26, verse 19, Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well springing water. Water is an absolute necessity in life. We begin, to, in our nation, as our dear brother prayed, of great provision. Think nothing of turning on the tap and water coming. We think nothing of letting it run, although we shouldn't. We shouldn't waste a drop of water. There are people on earth that it's just as precious as, as money. If you've been to a country where there's no running water in the homes and watched the children and the women carrying five-gallon buckets on their heads just to have enough to, to, to wash their dishes or to cook for that day, you, would, you and I would remember how if we had to go get any water that we use, we'd appreciate it much more, wouldn't we? We had a little inkling of that this week, and I don't in any way want to, you know, it just reminded me of this, though, that we have one of those devices on our homes that, that people say, oh, I'd love to have that, but we have those uh, hot water heaters that heat upon demand, Now, the wonderful thing about one of those is that you can stand there all day long if that's what you want to do, and the water stays just as hot. It heats it as needed. But for some reason, and the the plumbers and all the people you ought to know tell me they did it exactly right, there's one on either side of the house, one for the kitchens and one for the, the bathrooms. And the one on the bathroom side, just even though we have thermal, electric, heated, thermal stuff on it and attached, you know, done everything under the sun, it's still, when it does like it did last week and gets, what, zero <laughs> or feels like zero, it can freeze or stop providing the hot water. So while we had abundant hot water on the kitchen end of the house where you really wanted it for in the morning to get ready to come, it was so, here I go, uh, 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 The first morning, I didn't think we had hot water in either place, so I heated on the stove. You know, I I just couldn't, let's be honest with you, I just could not take a cold bath. I just couldn't do that. I I said I couldn't, I could, I didn't. I chose to to heat and boil, and then the next morning, and then, but thankfully it came back. But I remembered with each of those trips, several trips, that, you know, this this is a lot like work, isn't it? I mean, this is, when Rebecca watered those camels, she really did something, didn't she? Going trip after trip after trip. But, but water is an absolute necessity of life, even uh, to the, the, the luxurious part of our lives. The, the physical life as well as in the spiritual life. The first need of a believer is the living water, which is the Holy Spirit acting through the Word of God. A, a plant without water will die, even if it is in rich soil where its roots are exposed to all the, the rich minerals and all that it needs, if the water does not transmit and feed those minerals to the roots and takes and goes up into the plant, the plant will absolutely wither and die. And so the question arises as we study Isaac's life, why didn't Isaac stay by the well at La Jolla Roy? Why did he leave the place of blessing and provision and fellowship and at the command of the Lord? Why did he come to that point where he said, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm just through here. I'm giving it up. I'm going somewhere else. The answer is his circumstances, the famine that the Lord allowed in his life, became so big to him that nothing else, he couldn't see anything else. And that's that's a tendency to happen in all of our lives because, let's face it, things happen on a day-by-day basis. Some are bigger than others. But circumstances often, though they shouldn't, cause us to make decisions just based upon the circumstances. But I need to remind us here of something, children of God. We as believers, we don't live by circumstances. We are to live above them. And for the Bible tells us we walk, how? By faith and not by sight. Not just at what can be seen. The, the just shall live by faith. Isaac, when tested, went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And this shows us that as sons, as believers, we can fail to stay by the well. S- fail to stay not only the place of God's blessing, but underneath the authority of And the provision of God's word. We can fail to stay by the presence of God. The place of fellowship in his word. And remain there. The Bible tells us in in John chapter 15. Our Lord says that we are to abide in him. The only way to, to produce spiritual fruit is to abide in him. You cannot bear fruit of yourselves. It's impossible. And yet the Holy Spirit using the word of God will bear fruit through us. He says you cannot bear fruit of yourselves except you abide in the vine which is Christ. And just prior to that, the word says now you're clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. You see the cleansing of the word of God in the washing of the water by the word. All of that is, shows us the attributes of God's word, the Holy Spirit using it in our hearts and lives in the inner man. We see here in verse 2, the Lord appeared unto him and said, go not down into Egypt. What a command that is. It's an unmistakable command. Don't repeat the sin of your father, Abraham. Don't go to Egypt, which as we've studied in the Scripture, Egypt is a picture of the world. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. God wants to lead us and guide us and to direct us. And then in verse 3, sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and I will bless thee, and unto thy seed I will give these countries. Literally, stay here, Isaac. Uh, turn aside from the road that you're headed on. He, he stops Isaac before he gets to Egypt and says, don't go there. Stay and go to a place that I will show you. You're, you're headed on, uh, on the wrong, but stay here and sojourn here as a guest. And like his father before him, Isaac was on his way to the world, wasn't he? He was on his way to, to making some disastrous decisions or the results of the, that disobedience would always and is always disastrous had God not stopped him in his steps. Don't you praise the Lord for his restraining grace? We pray, praise him for his saving grace But so often as believers, we have experienced His restraining grace. It's not that we would not have sinned, but God kept either the opportunity from us or the circumstances, or He stopped us dead in our tracks. We ought to praise Him for His restraining grace. And we see this in Isaac's life. Isaac should have known better, shouldn't he? And you and I should know better, too. If we're sitting here today looking at Isaac and saying, how could he do this? I mean, he, he was in the home uh, where this was lived out before him, and I'm sure it was discussed and known about. The bitterest trials in his parents' lives came as a result of their going to Egypt. And to make things easier, the, there was justified for making that trip to Egypt, but the result was loss of testimony loss of uh, grace in their lives, uh, growth that they had attained. They, they got Hagar on that trip, and we could just go on and on. We'll not rehearse those things, but, but Isaac should have known better. Verse 6 tells us that Isaac compromise which is as bad as outright disobedience somehow we think that that compromise is not as bad as it may not be exactly what we should be doing but that's just how compromise does isn't it It makes it justifies the, the 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 disobedience to a clear command of god and while he did not go on down to egypt as his father did he dwelt in gerar this was on the border between canaan where he should have been in Egypt, where he was commanded not to go, and sadly, that's where a lot of God's people stay. They're not just wholesale in Egypt, but they're not in Canaan either. And Canaan is that place of obedience and blessing that God, where God wants us to be, the place of, you, of Him using us, of instrumentality, of guiding and directing us. But like like Isaac, so many of God's people go right to the border. And wonder why there are difficulties there. I'm not in the world. I'm not where I was. I'm not where I could be. But we're not where we ought to be. He compromised. God said, "Sojourn in this land." In other words, Canaan. He stopped him before he got to Egypt. Stay here. I'm going to the promises of God in the covenant made to Abraham is in Canaan, and yet he went to the border to the edge, pushing the envelope, as we might say. But Isaac, the Bible tells us, dwelt there, not where he should have been, not in Egypt, not in Canaan, but just on the edge. Do you see the progression of backsliding as a child of God? It begins with rationalization. I didn't cause these things. God, you're in charge of the weather, so... We can even blame God for our circumstances in life. You made me like this. The wife, the woman thou gavest me, Adam said, we can always. And so then we begin to justify when we think we have a case against the, the justice and the fairness of God, of allowing these circumstances. The last account I had, God is in charge of the weather and famines and stuff like that. Wouldn't you agree with me there? And so I'm sure Isaac felt somewhat justified in in making this decision. Isaac has set himself up for a fall, though. He stubbornly, because of convenience, because of things that are hard in the place of God's will, because of the testing of his faith there, it didn't feel good. Tests never do really feel good, do they? Until we pass them, and then we go, shoo. I remember standing outside the professor's door looking at my number and the number beside that number and praising God that the name was not there, it was just the number, and seeing if, I, if I'd eked by, you know, in some of those, those classes and uh, the, the pressure there. Nobody likes tests, and yet nobody ever attains anything without tests. You don't get a degree without them. You don't get a career without having passed certain tests that say you're able to do this particular job. And as a believer, we're not exempt. The only way to progress in God's uh, seminary of faith is to to take tests and to deal with hard circumstances and allow the Lord to work His will and His way in us. Remember, what is His goal? His goal is to conform us into the image of His Son. And as we look into our hearts and minds, we see a whole lot that doesn't look like Jesus Christ, don't we? And so the tests are allowed that will winnow those things out from us. And so he decides to live a life of compromise. And the child of God is not exempt from this, just on the edge. I'll not go there, but I'm not going there. I'll just stay here. And here is not the place to be if God has said, I want you to go there if anything in the scriptures we see example after example of that and so he decides to stay where he can get his supplies easier and and just justify where he is and i'd like to ask us this morning are you justifying an area in your life that is in clear disobedience to a command of scripture because you just don't see any other way let me tell you that it will destroy your your life and that area that you will not obey will will one day destroy you the old puritan writers used to say the sin that we do not kill will eventually kill us and and when we put it in that category of, of killing something remember agag had to be chopped to pieces that was god's will and that that represents those giants those sins in our lives that must be ruthlessly dealt with and you know i often give that analogy of, of snakes. I mean, if, if there were snakes in your attic or in your basement, you just wouldn't say, well, I got most of them, I think. You know, there might be one or two left and we'll just have to see what we'll do. They were just little bitty and so, you know, we, we can justify. None of us would... None of our wives would tolerate us allowing <laughs> one little bitty snake to stay alive. I told you about finding one at our doorstep and I thought we would have to move, you know. Uh, the, the, the snake there. We don't want them in our house. Not, they shouldn't be there. And so we ought to look at sin much, much worse than that. Canaan is a type of God's will for us. The picture of our Christian life, the life of faith. There's battling in, in Canaan, isn't it? There? There's, there's ground to gain. There are blessings there that abound, but they are not obtained through lethargy. They're not obtained through, through lack of exerting ourselves and, and cooperating with the resources that God has given us to gain those blessings. Everybody talks about blessings like they're winning the lottery or something, or like they're just, you know, but blessings are always hinged on obedience. Now, I will say that we all enjoy blessings, we call them, from from the Lord. The sun came up today, and we enjoy that. But particular blessings of God's will for you, things that he wants to do in and through your life, hinge on the door of obedience. Isaac has closed that door to a degree. And God is going to have to teach him. Faith like a muscle must be used. It must be exercised. Like many of you, I got on my program this week and uh, went to the exercise room and, and uh, decided, okay, which of these am I going to use? I was unfamiliar with all of them. <laughs> it had been quite a while since I uh, had acquaintance with any of them. And so I decided, sized one up and I said, well, anybody can do that. You know, I mean, look at it. It's just a. And so my knees told me after about, and I, and I said, I'm going to give it 15 minutes. You know, any, surely that's, that's where we should start. And 15 minutes felt like 15 hours, you know. I didn't realize how, how uncooperative un- un- my knees were, how old my knees felt after being on that thing. I don't even know what you call it. You, you did all kinds of things with it. And it did all kinds of things to me. And so it showed me that, that muscles not used, they'll let you know about it when you start calling upon them to be, to be used. And faith, that's not exercise, gets flabby. It gets out of, out of sync. It gets out of use. And uh, faith must be exercised. They, they, Until now, Isaac's blessings have largely been inherited, haven't they? Let's face it. He's been riding on the coattail of his father. And his father was blessed and, and, and his children were blessed because of him. And now Isaac must be dealt with as too, as well. Our children must know the Lord savingly and personally, and they've got to pass tests too. The danger of Christian parents is to intervene when God is trying to perfect their their children's faith. And and as if they can stop God from, they want their children saved, they want them to know the Lord savingly, they just don't want Him to work thoroughly in their lives so that it will hurt, maybe, or make them not happy, or, or whatever the, the motive is. But do you see that Isaac's faith has got to be perfected just like his father Abraham's was? The covenant is to Abraham and through Isaac and their seed. And so they, they have come easily, these blessings. His wealth, he didn't do anything to get his wealth. He was just born to his father. And he inherited a lot of these things just by being Isaac's Abraham's son. And so he no, no personal exercising of faith. Now, we commend him. We do go back to the Mount Moriah. What a commendable thing that is. We're not minimizing that, but his status in life, the, this thing of testing for, with finances and provision, he's not really had to worry about that. Inherited blessings can be taken for granted. We have a nation full of people in our, in the church today. And when we hear of what believers are going through in other parts of the land, we have no, we have no idea of what it means to, to, for our faith uh, to be put to the test in the way that many of them will be. Inherited blessings can be taken for granted and lightly esteemed. And so testing will come to perfect Isaac's faith. Isaac here is a type of the believer out of fellowship with Christ Away from the well, the place of sustenance and and provision, feeding on God's word. Outside of Canaan, which is God's perfect will for him. Outside the will of God. What a dangerous, sad, dry place that is it's worse much worse than a physical famine of, of food the spiritual famine as many of you can attest to is worse than being without a job or having not met very much in the cupboard the land of spiritual famine isaac repeats the sin of his father and parents let me also say here it's easier for your children to imitate your sins and your weaknesses than it is to copy your spirituality and your virtues. Please choose carefully. If not for your own spiritual sake and your own personal spiritual, I want to remind you there are other ones watching and looking and following along. And those same tests will come in some way in their lives and they will, be, they will pretty much choose to to respond in in much the way they saw emulated for them in life. They're watching. Have you noticed that? They see your choices, your excuses for your disobedience and laxness in the things of God. Uh, They see your looking at the will of God as something you can leave it or take it. It's not that big a deal until it comes to their life and they begin to make those earth-changing decisions and you're saying, why are you doing that? No doubt they've learned from someone who's modeled before them. And because it is easier to copy your mistakes, we see often our children repeating the same sins of their parents. Not because it's inherited, not because of that, but because they've seen it worked out before them. This does not have to be. These things were written, again, for our learning and our admonition. And we we observe that even though Abraham and Isaac had different temperaments, they're absolutely two different people altogether Different personalities, yet each of them gave in to the same temptation. And I don't want us to major on the, the, the beauty of Rebecca and the beauty of Sarah. We've pointed that out before in, in the lying and about him, her being his sister and the half-lie and all that kind of thing. We've, we've been there and done that. And it's wrong. But that, that's not the, the point. They, when the famine came, both father and son uh, ran to men for help. Did you notice that? The first thing that came is, let's, who do we know? Who can fix this? Who can work this out? Someone they knew instead of calling on the Lord. Neither one of them, when the famine came, the Holy Spirit does not tell us in either situation where they spread it out before the Lord and begged for his, his light and judgment. And so even when Isaac did not and God came to him and said, no, don't go to Egypt, he still obeyed halfway. So it isn't because of our personalities that we sin, it is because of our inner proneness to sin. We are sinners, coupled with example around us, and then we make the choice. Unless God would intervene and hold us up and protect us, every one of us, I want to remind us, are as weak as water. We don't have to do these kinds of things, but the world, the flesh, and the devil, as I've mentioned, and our own proclivities will cause us to fall unless we depend upon the Lord. You read there, though, amazingly, and some teachers point out, they have a trouble of reconciling, verses 12 and 13 through 13, with what I've just said. And they will point out, as people often do, well, look, everything's going all right with Isaac. Verse 12, then Isaac sold in that land and received in the same year, an hundredfold, that's a pretty good investment. I'd like to put my money in that investment, wouldn't you? A hundredfold, a hundred percent... I mean, what an investment program. By the way, that's the investment program God has. A hundredfold. We see that in the New Testament as well, don't we? It's a a symbol of God's intervention of the circle. And the Bible tells us that Isaac received a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And so it wasn't just his own cunning Uh, ability the lord allowed him to be blessed a hundredfold and by the way it is the lord that giveth you the ability to gain wealth the scripture says and the man waxed great you see the words that the scriptures use and went forward that means he he advanced and grew until he became very great isaac's prosperity material prosperity is absolutely astounding For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and a great store of servants. And look at the last part of verse 14. And the Philistines envied him. And so the question comes, how do we reconcile these verses with the fact that God told Isaac to stay in Canaan, not on the edge, not to go to Egypt? What do we make of this? If you look back to verse 3, the Lord says, I will bless thee. So this is a prophecy coming true, isn't it? What God says He will do, He will do. Now, I don't want anyone here to take away from this the, the misinformation that I can live in sin and still God will bless me. However, we all have the testimony of even being away from the Lord that He held us up and spared our lives and did amazing things for us. But do not take for granted that because Isaac is blessed here, it's because it doesn't matter. God had already said by prophecy, I'm going to bless you. Do you see that God is working on both ends of the, of the line? He is working in the Philistines' lives just like he's working in your life. And in fact, your testimony is what it is before the world. And he's making the Philistines jealous of his child. God said I will do this. I will bless thee. This is a promise that God sovereignly declared to Isaac before Isaac deceived Abimelech with his wife. Before any of that God said I will do this. And when you see God saying I will do whatever I will do, he will do it. That's a promise. God's promises are are uh, they cannot be rescinded he promised that. Verse 12 reads, and the Lord blessed him. God did this. This was a, a miraculous thing. This was supernatural. It wasn't because it didn't matter that Isaac was living in disobedience or anything else you could lay it to. Isaac's ingenuity, the Lord blessed him. God is faithful to His Word. He will not violate His promise or what He wills to do. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, He is faithful to that promised. Second Timothy 2 verse 13. If we believe not, yet he abideth or stays or remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny his word because his word is just a representation of himself. It's all of God you know is his word. He abideth faithful. There is no excuse for sin. No explaining away that it's alright for Isaac to be where he is. That we can go our own way regardless. Satan wants you to think you can sin and get by with it. That is never the case. Because God had already told Isaac that he was going to do. Rebellion against the known will of God always, though, has a price tag. Read what Abimelech tells Isaac in verse 16. Go from us. Leave. Isaac, though prospered and uh, becoming very great, was not a blessing to the people where he was living. And do you know that we're left here to glorify God and to be salt and light wherever we are? God didn't tell us to try to be salt. If you can work it in on your day, do the best you can to shine some little light where you are. You are the light of the world. You are salt. So how salty is the place where you are? How much light is in the place where you live? This, this guy came to Isaac and said, Please leave. It, it, you just, just leave. Go from us, for thou art mightier than we. Here, God is speaking to Isaac through this pagan king. God speaks through his word primarily. He does speak through circumstances. Circumstances can preach a sermon to us, can't they? And he often uses even those who are unsaved to speak to us what a what a tragedy that that is that abimelech has to tell isaac get where you need to be because we really don't want you here would you just go back to wherever it is you're supposed to be we we just would rather you not be here wasn't that god's will to start with he didn't want isaac there either the only person that he didn't get the memo was isaac and now he gets it we see there in verses 17 through 22 that even though god fulfilled his promise of blessing isaac Isaac is not spared strife. Problems with the herdsmen. He began to dig these wells, and guess what? They claimed them. He has to move again. And in his way, even though he digs these wells, and they're wonderful wells, they come along and say, these are ours. Thank you. Thank you for digging, digging the wells and stopping them up. And God will not let his people where He not be where he wants them to be. And I've already alluded to, to Jonah, to... to Peter, to Lot, countless others that he ultimately brought them home. 2 Peter 2 verse 9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust. In verse 23, we see he went up from thence to Beersheba. All the names in the scripture are important. They're loaded with meaning. And Beersheba means the well of oath. God is bringing Isaac back to where he should have been and where he would have led him had Isaac listened. Years before, Abraham, his father, had made a covenant with the Philistines at Beersheba and had built an altar there. And there Isaac himself had lived after the sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Isaac's return to Beersheba, his getting right with the Lord. This is a momentous event where he goes to where he should be, sets things right, uh, repenting and restoring it to his first love where he'd been in closest fellowship with God, there is the joy and the peace and the walking in obedience with the Lord at Be- Beersheba. And so we see in verse 24, And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father, fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. On the very night that Isaac goes to where he should be, the Lord comes to him and gives him this wonderful promise. First things first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. There was no mention of an altar at Gerard. The altar represents the spiritual life. If, if we followed you from Sunday to Sunday, would we see, observe anything about your spiritual life? This whole time that Isaac has been away, there's been no altar, no place of communion, no place of sacrifice. And Abimelech follows Isaac to Beersheba and says, we certainly saw that the Lord was with thee. And we said, let there be now an oath betwixt us, even between us and thee. And let us make a covenant with thee, because he is at peace with God. Now his enemies want to be at peace with him. Abimelech didn't say that until Isaac got right with the Lord. What was Abimelech's response? Go, leave, get away from us. Now he comes to Isaac, that Isaac is right with the Lord, and says, we know that, that God is with you. Proverbs when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. The rest of the chapter tells us what Isaac did. He made a feast. We end, though, on a sad note. We will come back to the story that we looked at before, his brother Esau. Remember, the last verse of chapter 25 tells us Esau despised his birthright. The last verses of this next chapter says Esau was 40 years old and he took to wife Judith the daughter of Beria of the Hittite and Bashemeth, Bathshe- the daughter of Elon the Hittite which were a grief of mine unto Isaac and unto Rebekah. May the Lord bless his word this Lord's day. Our gracious Heavenly Father, the lessons that you've shown us here are many Lord, I pray that those who are wrangling with some decisions or some areas in their life that You've clearly shown them that need to be dealt with. You have clearly spoken and they have decided they will have their own way or try to halfway obey. Lord, by Your Spirit and by Your Word, by Your help, help us to be done with those areas. Lord, I realize they're complex and sometimes they're lifelong struggles. But by your grace and your resources, we can put off, mortify the members of our body, mortify the deeds of the flesh. May we render them inoperative, those that you said does not have power over us anyway. We are dead to sin. Lord, the circumstances are so pressing. There are those in such dire straits today. Oh, hear them. As they lift up their voices just now, hear them and show them and give them light from your word. There are others who are outside of Christ. Lord, they have never come to that place of absolute repentance and dependence upon you to save them. And Lord, your promises are so gracious. You said, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as white as snow. Lord, you said all that come unto you. Come all that labor and are heavy laden. And I pray that those who are under the weight of their sin, the sin of unbelief and of not making Christ their Lord, that you would come to them just now by faith. And Lord, may they tell you their need. May they surrender their wills to the the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, the Savior is at hand. He said where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. By His Spirit, His Word, He's here today. Have you come in faith to Christ, depending on His work and His work alone? Have you come to Christ? Oh Lord, give faith to believe. We pray that Your Word would accomplish all that You've appointed to in this day. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.